it's Friday. And on Fridays, we kick around the week's biggest and most interesting news. I am here with Raj Mankad, the op-ed editor for the Houston Chronicle, and with CityCast Houston culture contributor, Olivia Flores Alvarez. Like I said, it is Friday, March 4th, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. Olivia, Raj, it's been a big week. So for me, the top story was Texas primary elections. It showed that that redistricting plan that the state Republicans put in place worked. Dan Patrick, our conservative lieutenant governor, had supported a whole lot of Republican candidates who won their primaries. And that means that we are looking at a raft of super conservative Republicans who are super likely to win the general election. That's right. I mean, I'm a member of the Houston Chronicle editorial board. So we spent a couple of months interviewing people, interviewing candidates. And um, it, the difference from two years ago was really noticeable. The, the redrawing of districts saps a lot of the energy out of districts because um, or it moves the debate farther in the left or the right depending on the party. And the dynamic was really different and and in a lot of cases sad. Yeah. I mean, because we know that most of these districts are either going to be very Republican or very Democratic, right? And so what you really have to do is make it out of the primary election. And then, you know, comparatively, the general is going to be a cakewalk, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We saw it. A lot of people making hay with culture war issues, multiple candidates who made it out of the Republican primary, running mainly on something that, you know, is not really an issue. There's already a law against teaching critical race theory in Texas. So what on earth can we expect coming out of the State Board of Education if they, once they make it in? I talked to... uh the candidates for the lieutenant governor race on the Republican primary and, and the current lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick, he didn't show up, but three of his challengers <laughs> did. And they were debating the merits of seceding from the United <laughs> States. These were Texas nationalists. <laughs> and, and I didn't realize that there's a name for this, uh, Bre- uh, not Brexit, but Texit. And uh, two of them were staunchly, you know, in favor of of secession and wanted to, you know, move this bill through that would create like a big forum and Texas voters would weigh in. And the third one was basically in favor of secession as an idea, but didn't think it was practical and thought it was too distracting and not effective and thought, thought that the party should focus on other things. And those, so that was the debate. And it makes you appreciate that even some of the folks you might disagree with, say Dan Patrick. Right, who I think of as being far, far right. Right. I mean, it can, there is farther right. (laughs) You you can go much farther. Um, So, for example, on the heartbeat, the so-called heartbeat bill that effectively bans abortion, you know, these candidates, these challengers didn't think it went nearly far enough. It's not a complete and total ban on abortion. So uh, they were unsatisfied with that, but he's not nearly conservative enough in their eyes. So there is a part of me, even though I have huge disagreements with Dan Patrick, that was 
happy that he made it out of the primary. Not that it was ever in question. <laughs> but these are strange times. All right, Raj, what is your big story of the week? What do you think was most notable? BP, Shell, and Exxon have announced they're withdrawing their investments from Russia. They've done the right thing, and we should you know, applaud them for that. In Houston, we know these decisions aren't only about money, although it is, you know, we're talking about billions of dollars, especially for BP, but it's also about people. You know, these are our neighbors who have worked in Russia and other former, you know, members of the Soviet bloc, other countries. And, you know, Reuters reported that Exxon had to evacuate people by uh, airplane. Yeah. Um, and, you know, while it's the right thing, the question we I think we should be asking ourselves, why did it take this long? Why didn't they pull out uh, in 2014? You know, why didn't the highly paid, super smart executives of these multinational companies do the right thing earlier? It would have saved probably their company's money if they had. Um, I mean, there's a lot of money at stake, so oh, yeah. clearly a hard decision, but it would have been the right decision before, but at least they did it now. Yeah. Olivia. Yes. What have you got for the big story of the week? My big story for this week is uh, slightly different. Oh, thank God. <laughs> uh, two musicians, two Houston musicians passed away within the last uh, few days. And I just really want to, um, to say something about them because I don't think enough has been said. Yvonne Washington, who was a jazz and blues gospel singer, and Milton Milt Hopkins, uh, who was a guitarist, both passed away. And Yvonne was 72, Milt was Milton was 88. So they were they had had long, long, long careers here in Houston and were well known. But I think one of the things that we do in Houston is that we do get used to our people. You know, she'd sell out a crowd, a, a, a stadium. Uh -huh. And here in Houston, she was, you know, seen so often and in, in smaller clubs and things that we kind of just took her for granted. And Yvonne was a phenomenal singer. I feel your lips, your summer kisses, your I like to say that Yvonne sang notes that other singers uh, knew, you know, they sang the same notes. It was the same G or E or C or whatever it was. But when she sang it, it was like nobody else had ever sang that. You know, no one else ever hit that C. No one oh. else ever hit that G. And uh, <laughs> she was just wonderful. And the same thing was, was true for, for Milton Hopkins. And, you know, Milton Hopkins was went back to the... Uh, Don Roby, Duke, and uh, Peacock recording days. and Mid-century. Yes, 1950s like in the Houston yeah. area. He was 17 years old when, when Don Roby picked him up. He was, I think, 19 when Don Roby sent him to the Apollo for the first time. He worked with Little Richard and... Jackie Wilson. He worked with B.B. King for something like 10 years. So Sam Cooke, Marvin Gaye, all these guys. And yet he was still a very humble, just Houston guy, you know. And uh, 
I think both Yvonne and Milton looked at their craft as like it didn't start and stop once you, you know, went on stage. It was something you did all the time. Yvonne would do things like, you know, visit schools or, or, or do private parties and things. And it was more than just singing a song and standing up there and, and entertaining people. I think she really wanted to reach people. Both of them were really immense talents and a great loss to Houston, to Texas music, I think to music in general. And I just, yes, there's been some, some coverage on them, uh, both passing, but God, they really need a lot more accolades before we, we forget them, before we say, okay, next. I, I remember getting, I got to see uh, Yvonne Washington at several gala fundraisers. Yes. That's where I got to see her. And, <laughs> and I can really, I appreciate what you're saying. Cause you know, these are kind of stuffy rubber chicken affairs in hotel ballrooms. But once she took the stage, you were transported, you know, just was, <laughs> it was this great uh, personality that reminded, I think other musicians, uh, why they do this, you know, why, why they play music. This is why, because you get to do this. And it's more than just a performance. It's more than just a gig and a paycheck. You get to do music. And isn't that wonderful? And she would remind, you know, those younger musicians about that. She was really special. I remember Milton Hopkins had stopped playing for years. Yeah. And then he started gigging again. And he had, I can't remember what tiny room it was, but he had some weekly gig, maybe on a weeknight. And you could just go sit and see this incredible player, you know, 10 feet away from you. And it was astonishing, this tie back to that old Houston blues scene. Yeah. You know, it would give you chills. That was the ready room for them for a while. And yes. it was also Big Easy and a couple of other uh -huh. places that you could see them. And yeah, you're absolutely right. You'd be 10 feet away from this monster musician. You'd be 10 feet away from this monster singer. And uh, they were, they technically, they were big monsters. You know, they were just on it, right. technically. But uh, style-wise as well, they just really put their heart and soul into their music. Yeah. All right, next up. Um, Olivia, what do you think the story that was most underplayed this week has been? I'm going to shift gears a minute and say mm -hmm. that do a politics story, which I almost never do. Oh. I, I went to vote on Tuesday and I got my voter's registration ID uh, in the mail on Wednesday. Thank you, Harris oh. County. <laughs> 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 Which is so like Harris okay. County. But, right, right. Uh, okay, but you just need to show your I, like, in my driver's, driver's license. license. Yeah, right? but it's like, okay. uh, and this is for, uh, but uh, so I went to vote on Tuesday and I was amazed at the number of people that were running against uh, Lena Hidalgo. For Harris County judge. Yes, for county judge. For two reasons. For two reasons. One is, dang, y'all, she's done a great job. You know, she's, she's, towed the line. She's, she's held her ground. She's done a really good job. And then two, who wants that job? What other <laughs> politicians or wannabe politicians were going to stand up and say, Hey, yeah, I want to be the guy who says we're in code red again. I was amazed. Yeah. You know, who I mean, it is, it has become a really powerful job because um, okay. A Harris County is the size of a middle-sized state. Right. Um, 
and there's a ton of money there. There's a ton of people. And B, the Harris County judge doesn't really normally have as much power as the commissioners, except when we are in an emergency. And between COVID and climate change, we are constantly in emergencies. Yeah. You know, so if you just want power or political visibility, I think it's pretty good. I mean, I think people are, I don't know, I can't tell how many of the people are like, you know, quietly being nudged by Republican opponents of Lena Hidalgo, because I do think of all the Democratic politicians in Texas, she has a target on her. Yeah. That, you know, she is one of the most promising rising Democrats. And for this reason, there will be all sorts of challenges. I also think, though, that whoever wants that job is going to have a huge target on their back. You know, unless you are made of stone and steel, you're going to be a one-term, you know, uh, judge in that position because it's just so hard and so difficult to wrangle everything that kind of comes under that, you know, uh, under that that title. And I just can't imagine anybody in their right mind wants to say, yeah, me, I want to, I want to, I want to be the target, you know, I want to be the one that everybody's gunning for. I want to be the one that tells, you know, all the schools that they have to shut down or do whatever. Uh, It was just really surprising to me that she had that many opponents. She, she, she dispatched them with uh, a huge margin, seemingly with ease. She did. She did. Yeah. Now this is a case where I do think the general election might be a little harder for the person who makes it out of the primary. Absolutely. Because I do think Republicans are gearing up to run against Lena Hidalgo. I mean, I guess one parting thought on that is I, I think one of her accomplishments is actually to have in a way politicized that office and the commissioner's court. And I mean that in a, in a positive sense of politicizing yeah. people are paying attention more to that office and the fact that that it has power and that it has those decisions make a difference in our in our daily lives the way the way commissioner's court was run before and the way that, that it was talked about by the office holders with it no this is basically a technical thing you know mm-hmm. we're we're laying pipes and roads and <laughs> and uh digging ditches and really it's not even about party um, and yeah. there's, I kind of miss that, you know, <laughs> oh, I, no. I kind of miss the, the, you know, sometimes the things are so tense and partisan and, and polarized, you know, it's like, wow, well, you know, what about those days when, when, you know, things just kind of rolled along and they poured a bunch of pot concrete on the ground, <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't want them to build all those highways, but at least we weren't at each other's throats, but, but no, Lena Hidalgo has, you know, She's expanded our our imagination about what's possible with the politics of the county, and that's that's a positive thing in my view. Yeah, absolutely. Raj, what story do you think deserved more attention this week? Most underplayed story. I'm gonna sort of combine this with uh, what made me happy. Okay. <laughs> we talked about this a little bit already with the primaries. But I think what's underplayed about the primaries are the down ballot races, especially for the Texas Senate. Um, we talked about Dan Patrick himself, but he's been playing a long game shaping 
the whole Senate, its rules, and also pushing his own candidates. So four candidates that he backed uh, in districts where the the incumbent uh, decided not to run uh, won. And these candidates are, you know, more conservative than before. And so and they're sort of Patrick aligned. So if you thought that the last session was off the rails or, you know, too conservative, then uh, get ready for the next one. I mean, he, the, the Texas Senate under Patrick's control really didn't just push the envelope for state politics, but national politics. Now he's going to have even more power. Aye, aye, aye. I want I want Houston to secede from Texas. I know. I was yeah, thinking, what's right. the Houston uh, version of, of- of Texit is you know Houston Texit. Houston, Houston Texit. Oh Houston. lord! I gotta start printing up those T-shirts, man. Yeah, I'll buy one. Yeah, right. Let me know. You know, I I have to say that I very rarely ever want the Democrats to be more like the Republicans in anything. I've never said that sentence before, but <laughs> when you think about long games. Gosh, I wish the Democrats would do that. I wish the Democrats would look down the road and think about, you know, putting judges in places about, uh, you know, building all that down ballot that you're talking about. And I, I just don't think that we do that in a coordinated effort, at least not at the level that people like Dan Patrick are doing. Well, Talking about long games in politics, the thing that makes me happy. Oh, uh, thank is God, that, there's something. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's that Charles Cunningham uh, won the Republican primary for House District 127, which is uh, the Humble area. And when the Houston Chronicle editorial board interviewed him, uh, about halfway through, he sort of casually mentioned that he's the great, great grandson of Henry Phelps who was once enslaved and uh, became a Republican who served in the Texas House in 1873. Wow, Reconstruction. Uh, yes. So uh-huh. that's incredible Incredible to me that Mr. Cunningham now has a clear path to following in his ancestors' steps. And uh, there were a lot of things that I disagree with uh, him about. He has a really kind of hard stance on abortion he poses it in all circumstances mm-hmm. but he was also very considered and reasonable on a whole host of other issues and talking to him reminded me of the republican party's past mm. and maybe how in the future it could have a very different character than it does now oh that is a moment of hope <laughs> <laughs> i love that all right, Olivia, have you got anything that's going to make me that happy? What do you got? I need it. The Alley Theater is just making me so happy this year. Their current production is a, is a show called American, and it's about a white guy, a seemingly white guy, who wants to join a white supremacist group and uh, then finds out that maybe he's not quite so qualified uh, because they do, a, <laughs> they do a DNA test or something, and so it's just not qualified and... Uh, it's like, ah, dude, the, you know, you're, you're not much of a joiner. <laughs> you know, you're not going to get to join them, are you? And uh, this show dealing with race and in a very kind of new way about a white guy realizing that his background is not completely white. And I'm just really happy with what they're doing over there. 
<sighs> All right, my moment of Houston joy is a small thing. Um, I was out walking my dog along uh, the Braze Bayou trails this weekend, and I started seeing tons of birds, but my favorites were the snowy egrets, those white ones mm -hmm. with the long, stalky legs and the yellow feet. And they've got their, you know, sexy springtime mating plumage on right now, <laughs> that sort of fluffy, marabou-looking stuff. And, you know, my God, it's time. Let's, let's see something happy and generative. I want to, I got to go out and... I want to go to High Island. Oh yeah! Wow. See that I want that. Then see some real sexy plumage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the birds are nesting. It's like spring break out there, you know. They hoot and holler so. and make a big ruckus out there. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank you. This has been fun. That is it for our show today. Our lead producer is Dina Kesba. Producer Farrell Gibbs is also responsible for our theme music, which is played by his band All the Kimonos. And we had help this week from CityCast development producer Natalie Rivera. We will be back on Monday. Bye! I'm still trying to figure out the Houston exit <laughs> all right Word. Raj once you've got it I'm there and I want the t-shirt yep <laughs>